Well, good morning to all of you, and I'll make you a deal. If you come over and visit us, my wife and I will take you over to Cracker Barrel. Oh, but just one at a time, not all of you. <laughs> the first time it opened four years ago, it was the first one in California, and I just walked over there. Uh, it's about a mile from my house, and I walked over there. The lines literally were five hours to get a meal there. That's how desperate we are in California for many things, including Cracker Barrel. Uh, but as I'm walking around, this lady walks up to me and she said, excuse me, sir, where are we? And I said, Cracker Barrel. And she said, no, I mean, what city? And I said, you're in Victorville. And I thought this poor lady is so excited about Cracker Barrel. She didn't even know where she drove. That's how powerful. Cracker Barrel is, but I'm glad to be with you this morning. You may be seated. I'll have you open your Bible in just a moment. Just a couple things I wanted to say, and I didn't want to leave you standing all that long. I am Aaron's dad, and I'm also Drew's dad. We have another son at home uh, named Caleb. He's a freshman in high school, but I wanted to mention Drew. He's a senior in high school, and he's come out to check out the college today. So recruit it well for him today while he is here. Now, uh, I do want to say this. I know Luke, and Luke's a great guy. Uh, Luke sang a good, good song. When I grow up, I want to have Luke's voice. The first time I met him, he came over with Aaron for a weekend and I met him and I said, hello, I'm Pastor Counts. And he said, hello, I'm Luke. And I thought, is this guy putting on the Ritz for me or what? And then I heard him talking. He would talk about, you know, everyday things like, you know, hello. And I said, how old are you, Luke? And at the time he was 18 years old. And I started having a spiritual problem going on. Lord, this is not right. You called me to preach. I need his voice, but that has not happened yet. Well, I love serving the Lord and I love serving in California. How many Californians are in the room? All right. How many non-Californians are in the room? Whoa, whoa. I could start a college split right now. I won't do that. I'd like to come back maybe again one day, but I do love California. Nothing like serving the Lord today and nothing like serving the Lord in California. Uh, we had a couple that got saved, baptized, their family came in, and they started attending the church. I'm gonna tell you, one of the things that's so great about working with people today is that many of them, when they come in those back doors, they know next to nothing about the Lord, the Bible church, and you get to start them from the baseline and build them up. Case in point, this family came into the church, they get saved and baptized, they start attending regularly, and we call for a Lord's Supper service. And so we're observing the Lord's Supper and they're sitting in the back. And on the way out, I see them, and I, she didn't say it to me, but I hear mom say this to the kids. Now remember, we had observed the Lord's Supper and we're walking out and she said, well, kids, I guess we're stopping by Chipotle on the way home tonight. And I began to think about that and I thought, that dear lady had no idea what the Lord's Supper was until she got in it and she just heard supper, so she thought it was a church-wide fellowship. And now she knows a lot better about all that. And by the way, they're growing. That same couple now teaches Sunday school. She sings in the choir, they're reaching people. I just want to throw this out there, a quick commercial for you. If you're considering where God would have you to serve, I can't think of a better place than right here in California because it is such an amazing place to serve the Lord. You can remain seated, but take your Bibles today to the book of Judges, chapter number six. The book of Judges, chapter number six today. And I want us to read beginning in verse number 25, though there are several portions of this chapter 
we're going to look at. But just for sake of time, let's begin in verse number 25, and we're going to read down through verse number 27. Judges chapter number 6, verse 25, 26, 27. While you're finding your place, I want to say thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart for this college and for the invitation to be with you today. I look forward to this opportunity, and I trust that this morning will be a help and a blessing and an encouragement to your walk with the Lord. Judges chapter 6, begin reading with me in verse number 25. Our Bible say, And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock, in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then God took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household, and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Our Father, I pray that you would take these next few minutes that we have in your holy word, and that we would acknowledge this is intended to be your message to each and every one of us today, so that, Father, we would handle your word with all gravity and sincerity and understanding that this is your treasured book for us today, and that we would listen to what your spirit says to our hearts, and that, Father, that we would act upon it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Have you ever asked yourself the question, can God use me? You want to be used of God, but you ask yourself the question, can God really use me? Well, I want you to listen to this statement regarding our subject today, Gideon. And I want you to consider this thought regarding him, Gideon's big moment and your big moment. And what I want to begin with regarding Gideon's life is this thought. What impresses me about Gideon is that Gideon was not impressive. What impresses me about Gideon is that Gideon was not impressive. You see, God uses ordinary people. I had you raise your hand, you're from California, you're from around the country, around the world. Met an Australian today, speaking of voices I wish I had. And you wonder, wherever you're from, now you're here, you're training, you're studying, you may be a freshman, wondering, what have I gotten myself into? I could never pass these classes, I could never do the work. Or you might all the way up to a senior and you think you have it figured out and you have the college thing worked out in your mind, but then you're looking ahead to that day you graduate and whatever you'll be doing, wherever you'll be going. A year from now, some of you will be serving young people that you may have never met before now, but in a year you'll be serving them and their families. You might be working in a Christian school and you're gonna ask yourself the question, can God use me? I want you to consider, though, what the Lord says about Gideon. In Hebrews eleven thirty-two, 32, we know Hebrews 11 as many people call it the hall of faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. We get through the end of that individual list, and the Lord puts in several people all at once in a section 
toward the end of that chapter. And I want you to think of whose name is there. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. And the list of names like Noah and Abraham and Abel, David and others, you have Gideon. A common, ordinary man who on the day that God called him woke up like he had any other day, woke up fearful. Yet God had a plan to use him. So I want to encourage you, first of all, with this thought. God can use you. And then I want you to be amazed by this thought. Not because I say it but because it's true. Consider this. The almighty God of this universe who spoke this universe into existence. I watched a documentary yesterday. I don't know if you saw the news, but I watched enough of it to know what happened. I wasn't interested in watching all two hours of a satellite observing a asteroid. But we fast forwarded through it and we saw a satellite crash intentionally into the moon of an asteroid from seven million miles away. Think about that. That's an amazing achievement. I heard what they were trying to do is to see if there was ever an asteroid coming toward us, whether they could ever blow it up on its way in. I suppose that would be a good idea if they could. But those employees at NASA did something incredible. From seven million miles away, they sent a satellite at 14,000 miles an hour, crashing into a rock that was orbiting another rock or an asteroid. And that little rock that it hit from seven million miles away, they said was a 252 foot rock in diameter. And they missed it by about 17 feet. If that gives you a perspective of how vast this universe is, yet to think God spoke it all into existence. That very God wants to use you. That blows me away. It is an incredible thought to consider that not only God can use me, and we're going to see a little bit more about our usefulness. But I want you to understand, God wants to use your life. There are people, I mentioned those for some of you a year from now, for others maybe two or three or four years from now, that you'll be meeting in cities that you don't even know yet. They are out there. And God has a plan for someone to reach them. And that somebody is you. God uses ordinary people. Yet when we meet Gideon, here's who we find. Verse number 11 tells us, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiazarite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. This man that God intends to use is hiding from the enemy. He's fearful. He's afraid. 
He's afraid of the consequences of not fighting the Midianites, mind you, of not starting a rebellion against you. He's fearful of even threshing wheat in their sight. That's the man that we're meeting. An ordinary, fearful man. You see, you'll notice something. He was threshing wheat where? Did you notice it in your Bible? He was threshing wheat where? In the wine press. That's not where you thresh wheat. The wine press is at the bottom in the valley. The reason why is they went up into the vineyards, they would collect the grapes. As the grapes got heavy in the baskets or whatever they're using to collect them, they would bring them down the mountain to the wine press where they would be stomped. Where you would thresh wheat on the threshing floor was not in the valley intentionally. It was on the top of the hill or the mountain. Why? Because you know that verse where it talks about the Lord separating the chaff from the wheat? That's a literal thing that they would have to do. And they would thresh wheat and they would let the wind come across, not in the valley where the wind wasn't blowing as much, but at the top of the hill where the wind was blowing to blow the chaff away to leave the wheat. He was down in that wine press so he wouldn't be seen because he was fearful. You see, God uses ordinary and at times fearful people. Let me ask you this. Why don't we, and you can fill in the blank, why don't we walk across the road and give somebody your track or tell them about Jesus Christ? Usually it's not because we don't want to. The most common reason is we're fearful in one way or another. Why don't we take that next step of faith? Because we're fearful many times. You see, God took an ordinary fearful man, and I want you to see what he did with him. Because now look at verse number 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. What? Excuse me? The Lord said it to him while he's threshing wheat in the valley instead of the mountaintop because he's even afraid of being seen working. And God says, you mighty man of valor. See, God specializes in taking impossible things and doing the extraordinary. He specializes in taking a man who's fearful and turning him into a man of faith, turning him into a man of obedience, turning him into a man of intense calling. Even the people that Gideon was to serve were fearful. If you were to take and turn over one page in your Bible to chapter 7, you can write down the note, but you read in verse 1 through 3, you'll find that Gideon gathers an army of 32,000 people. That sounds great until you realize that he's 103,000 short of what the Midianites have. In chapter 8, verse number 10, you'll find that there were a total in the beginning of 135,000 Midianite soldiers. And 32,000 were from the armies of the Lord. More than four to one. I've got five guys right here. Your name's George, right? All right, George. All right, you're Israel. All right, you're all 32,000. You guys are the Midianites. 
Would you guys stand up for just a moment? And Brother George, would you stand up for just a moment? This isn't 135,000 to 32,000. This is four to one. George, how do you like your odds against these four guys? How do you like your odds? Why are you guys smiling so much down there? Like, oh yeah. Just so you guys understand, illustration, nothing is really going to happen in the next 30 seconds, okay? All right, so we have four to one. All right, so George, if I were to say that I'm gonna give you an out so that this fight doesn't have to happen, would you take it? Yeah. <laughs> we laugh, but would you sit down for just a moment? You, sir, right over here, what is your name? Ryan. Ryan, Ryan would you stand up? All right, so we still have the same odds. Ryan, if I were to give you an out, that you don't have to take on, are you, guys, are you guys are still smiling down here. You're just, are you guys the security team for chapel? You're like waiting for all comers here. All right, so if I give you an out, four to one, say you have to take this fight, would you take it? Probably, Probably. all right, all right, all right. You may be seated. I've got to pick on him. He's a student here and he's my son. Aaron, would you stand up for just a minute? I think everybody knows where my son's about to go with me here, and we did not plan this at all. I just know him well. Four to one. You guys are really smiling now. Is there some things you need to tell me about, Aaron, when I leave? All right. Aaron, if I were to give you an out from this fight, would you take it? I'm taking the out. Taking the out. Okay, you surprised me a little bit. All right. So three already have said no. Is there anybody in the room who would say, I'll take it? Yeah, I've heard about TJ. Where is TJ? There we go. All right. Even the enemy's clapping for him. All right. So you guys could all be seated, but did you get something? I'm out. I'm out. Maybe. He's definitely out. And this guy over here, TJ, we didn't even really ask him, but we're all going, come on, TJ, do it, TJ, do it. God does that with Israel, but first God says, too many of you, too many, it's four to one already. We're going to make the odds worse, yes, because God wants Israel and Gideon to see it's not you, it's him. You're going out into a world, college students, you're going out into a world where you're not liked anymore. There are people out there, we love them, but they consider you an enemy. And if God's going to use you, not only does he use ordinary people, God uses courageous people, not in and of themselves, but courageous in God. And so God tells these 32,000, all right, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 take off. Case in point, case in point, case in point. And TJ, you're the 10,000 that are left. God wants to use some courageous people, but here's the key. 
And here's the key to all of it. Gideon wasn't just told, thou mighty man of valor. Look back at the verse. Here's the key of true Christian courage. The end of verse number 12 says, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. That's the key. That's where my flesh, my weak flesh steps away and faith in God steps in. The Lord is with thee. You see, it was a courage not in himself, but a courage in God. So God uses ordinary people. God uses courageous people, courageous in God. And God uses clean people. This is the one that in our modern form of Christianity, we sometimes like to skip over that. But in the text, the Lord told Gideon, "Once you take that bullock and I want you to tear down an altar. Back in Joshua chapter 3 and verse number 5, Israel was preparing to cross the Jordan River. Marvelous story. Many of you know it in the Bible. Marvelous story. They were getting ready to cross over, and Joshua gave instruction to the people. After they were told what was going to happen, you know the first thing Joshua said? It was the first thing they needed. Sanctify yourselves. You see, God was going to do a work in them. And if I can just put it very simply, by sanctify, it was this. Clean yourself up. God uses clean people. Now, praise the Lord that in salvation, we are totally cleansed in Jesus Christ. When God looks at me, he doesn't look at the filthy sinner. He looks at the shed blood of Jesus Christ and says, washed in the blood, pure, clean. But in everyday life, I can get dirty. In fact, much of what Paul would write in the New Testament and others would write in the New Testament would speak to the need of living a cleaned up life, a separated life. Think of these words. James 4, 8 would tell us this. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. He's speaking to Christians with this next statement. He's not speaking to the lost. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. If we want to be used of God, God uses ordinary people given to him. God uses courageous people who step out by faith. And God uses clean people who are willing to be cleaned up by the work of the Spirit of God and the purifying of the Word of God in their lives. But that brings us to our text. We have a fearful man in Gideon who becomes a called man. And now he's going to be a useful person. I asked you earlier, do you want to be used of God? Are you asking yourself, can God use me? Well, I want to bring you to a big moment. It's actually in the story of Gideon, not really all that well known. If you grew up in church, you've heard the stories of Gideon and much of what I told you about Gideon, you remember from Sunday school and junior church, as do I. But there's one that wasn't spoken of much, at least in my life, you might know it well. Not the fleece, not the wine press and the threshing of the wheat, not the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, not the pitcher and the flaming torch, but it's a story, I believe, of a big moment that didn't happen before the masses of people that happened with God and Gideon. 
And it is a big moment that will have to happen if it hasn't already between you and God that will likely happen a multitude of times in your life. See, there are big moments in life. I remember 6095 Orange Avenue, Gethsemane Baptist Church. It's where I grew up. I remember double doors opening up, and I remember a beautiful lady all in white stepping toward me. And I remember that day I saw my bride when she was walking through those double doors, and my knees were knocking, and I thought I was going to pass out. The sad thing is I did pass out at my brother's wedding. So I kept saying, don't pass out. I stood there, and they kept telling me, bend your knees, bend your knees, bend your knees. I was literally doing this the whole time. I'm, I'm, don't pass out in this one, Bubba. You pass out at your brother's wedding. It's all right, not this one. But I remember looking at her thinking, thank you, Lord, for that gift. Same lady I just gave a hug to and I left today. These guys are here and I don't really want to embarrass them, but sometimes that happens. I don't think this will. I've never wanted to embarrass them. I've heard, and, and by the way, if, if you're studying to preach, may I, this is just a freebie. When you preach, don't embarrass the people that you love. You have to go home with them for one reason. But don't tell stories you're going to embarrass people that your wife and your kids and say all the mistakes that they made. Build them up. But Aaron and Drew are here and Caleb's back at school, back in Victorville. And I remember looking at all of them. And I remember holding them in their, in my arms for the very first time. They're big moments. You might remember your graduation from high school. You might remember learning to drive, getting your license, your first car. But I also remember something else. I remember my first Dutch Bros. I had never had an energy drink in my life. Some of you are thought, wow, how has he not, how has he lived? My brother said, one day you gotta try Dutch Bros. You gotta try Dutch Bros. So one night, mind you, at nine o'clock at night, after a Wednesday night service, I can't sleep anyhow. I thought, I'm gonna, we got a new Dutch Bros. I'm going to go try it. And I get in line, and it was brand new, and the line's like 30 minutes long, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? But I'm in line, and then I'm stuck in line because people pull up right behind me. I thought, well, I might as well get something now. And so I text my brother. I said, hey, I'm checking this place out. I said, what should I order? And he said, here's what I get. And he texted me, and the text said, large iced galaxy fish rebel. And I texted him back, and I said, is this autocorrect? And he said, no, it's a real drink. And I said, so I went up there, and I ordered it. And the young lady said, okay, great. And they're all, you know, Dutch bros, everyone's super chippy, chipper, and I'm, hey, bro, you know, doing that. And I'm like, hey, sis, you know, I'm... I don't know what I'm doing. And I order. And she said, all right, great. I love the galaxy fish. And I said, great. And she told me the price. And I said, it's how much? And I said, this better be good. And she said, oh, it is. And I thought, well, you work here. It's going to be, you know, good. So I wait and I wait and I inch along and I get my drink. And I took a sip of that thing. And fireworks began going off in my brain. I am thinking, where have you been all my life? I texted my brother and I said, this is like drinking a gummy worm. 
And he said, what size did you get? And I said, a large. And he texted me back. Now it's like 9.15 and he said, good luck sleeping tonight. The whole way home, I've got a smile on my face. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning, the drink's gone. I've still got a smile on my face. Every once in a while, I go by the bank, take out a loan so I can buy another one. But you know what I'm talking about. There are those fun moments. There are the big moments. For some of us, there's the embarrassing moment. I'm not talking about that. Because you have them too. But the ones that we look back with this word called regret are the missed opportunities. The missed big moments. When you could have done the right thing, but you stayed silent. When God could have used you to make a difference, but you stayed on the sideline. And Gideon here, just between God and Gideon, is being called to something big. It is this, God says in verse number 25, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. God says, Gideon, that altar to Baal that's in your dad's yard needs to come down. Now the word Baal, if you were to look up what the word actually means, we know it was a false god, very prevalent in the Old Testament especially. But the word Baal actually means little L. Well, remember that, not big L, not the Lord, but little L, Lord. It was one of the multitude of false gods of that day. That sadly now, under a powerful regime of the Midianites, the Israelites are now worshiping a false god, worshiping Baal or a Lord in their life. And sadly, many Christians today are not worshiping with their everyday living the big L, capital L, Lord, the Lord Almighty. But we're worshiping little lords in our life. There are the idols of the world. First John 2 and 16 would say, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. In verse 15, right before that, God clearly commands every one of us, love not the world. Nothing is more clear than that. And God even identifies what are those potential items, idols? What are those things the lust of the eyes. Time would fail me to get too involved in that this morning, but I want to point it out to everybody, these three things. The lust of the eyes, and for many of us in the room, that word goes to one specific thing, and if it's going there, and if you need it, let God use it. But lust means the desire of the eyes. Lust is an unhealthy, unrighteous, unholy desire. It is a desire for anything but God and God alone. The lust of the flesh. Desire, a craving for the things that I want. The Bible would tell us regarding sin that temptation comes our way. You haven't sinned when you're tempted. But the moment you begin on that journey, 
You're falling into that trap. See, we think sin happens with just the action. No, sin has already been accomplished in the mind before it's ever acted out with the hand or the foot or the tongue or the eye or the ear. But when you're tempted, means that your enemy's putting out a bait before you. Enticed, Scripture says. You're enticed by something. I fish every once in a while. I like to tell people I like to, I, I'm not a fisherman. I'm not a catcherman. I'm a fisherman. I don't catch a lot, but I like to go out there. But I do know this. If you're fishing for trout, you use different bait than when you're fishing for catfish. If you're bass fishing, you use something different. And listen now, you have weaknesses. I have weaknesses. The bait comes in the form of some weakness that you have. You're drawn away of your own lust, the Bible says, your own desire, and you're enticed. And you begin looking that way. You begin going that way. But then the Bible says when sin is finished, it's already had a starting point when you went that way. But when, when sin is finished, it brings forth death. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And God says to Gideon, tear down, tear down the altar of that false Lord, the idols of our lives. Sometimes the one idol that needs to be torn down is the statue in your mind that you have of yourself. You see, you're going to have to learn something. If you're training in Bible college, we all have to learn this, and I'm still in the place of learning it. I've been at the same church for over 25 years, and I still battle this, and everybody who's in ministry battles this, and it's an eye problem. That ministry is not about me. It's about him and others. And tear down the idol of self in our lives. So God gives him explicit instructions. Verse 25 and 26, and he said, And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock. He gives him instructions. Take them down immediately. God didn't say when you get around to it. God said now. And as this is being described for your life, we know what they are. It's in your mind right now. It's in your heart right now. And may I say this to you with all the love I can muster, bring those to the Lord now. Immediately, pull down that altar. Pull down that idol. Immediately. And then this, completely. Not just the parts that we can do without and keep the parts we enjoy, but completely. And then, God also says, take them down with a replacement. 2 Timothy 2.22 would tell us, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee, but follow. Some of us, we get really good at the flee. We get away from this, but you've missed out on the follow. We think that biblical separation is all the things that I don't do. Well, I'm glad there are things that you don't do. I have things that I don't do as well. But you know what God wants? What are we doing? 
Where is our reliance upon Him? Where is our walk in the Spirit? You see, we cannot do a whole bunch of things and then still walk after the flesh as long as there's an idol to self there. That's why God says, I want you to follow my righteousness. I want you to follow charity. I want you to follow peace. He tells Gideon, you tear down that altar and you build an altar to the holy God. He's still calling on people to do that today, though you unlikely in your dorm rooms have an idol to something, and I certainly hope you don't have a statue to yourself in your room. But whatever those things are in your mind or your heart, God says, pull those down and set up an altar to me. Not only was there an instruction, but there was an action. Very simple. You know what he did? In verse 27, you're going to find, then Gideon took 10 men of his servants, and I want you to see this, and did as the Lord said unto him. You know how much of the Bible comes simply down to that statement that you see in people's lives that God's going to use? They just did as God said. Gideon did what God had said to do. Immediately, completely, and he replaced one false altar with a true altar. But people have pointed out in verse number 27, I read commentaries that said, but he did it in fear, he did it at night. What a weakling. Well, he had fear, yes. Says it right in the verse. Because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. But I want you to see something. Did, as the Lord said unto him. End of the verse. He did it by night. In spite of fear, he did it. You see, we've gone from a man that's threshing wheat in the valley to a man, yes, I know it was at night. Also, if you notice in verse 25, God came to him at night also. Yes, he did it at night. Yes, he did it though he was fearful. But listen now, he went from being scared to even thresh wheat to going out to his dad's yard and pulling down that altar. What are we talking about? We're talking about growth. You see what happens in your life? One of the great elements of others that are there in our consecration and our love and our walk with the Lord is a dedication to say, Lord, as you have commanded, I will do. When your spirit speaks to my heart about what ought not be there, I will follow you. I am fearful of the consequences, but I'll follow you. Some of you are going to get an invitation to go to a church that you've never heard of before, that's in a state that you wouldn't necessarily want to go to, but God is going to speak to your heart, and you're going to have a tinge of fear in your heart, but you're going to step out by faith, and that's what it takes. Some of you are going to be called to the Lord to clean up some areas of life, but it's going to take a step by faith even when you're fearful of it. But there's a reaction, and there always is. In verse 28, when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. They got up in the morning, and something changed. They investigate in verse 29. It turns out to be Gideon. They want to kill him. They go to Joash, Gideon's father. And people didn't like the decision. I won't dwell on this point. But yes, Christian, that's going to happen in your life. You're going to make decisions that others won't like, but you're going to have to determine, I will follow God and not the crowd. You're going to have friends turn their back on their walk with the Lord, but you're going to have to determine to follow God. 
But I want you to see something else. There was also the reaction of a testimony. Verse 31, remember where it was that it was built, but Joash said unto all the stood that stood against him, will ye plead for Baal? Will you save him? For that he, he that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. If he be a God, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Remember something. Where was the idol? Joash's yard. Who tore it down? Joash's son. Who didn't like it? The others who worshipped it. Who saw the testimony? Gideon's dad, Joash. And it made a difference. His big moment made a difference in other people's lives. His big moment led to chapter 7, where he, with 300 men, God used them to conquer 135,000. That big moment led him to that. You will find after these steps of faith and moments of consecration and moments of decision, if you were to go down to verse number 34, it says, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The power of God was upon him. And part of that Spirit of God coming upon him in that Old Testament time, the power of God coming upon him had to do, yes, with his decision to follow God. Yes, with his decision to accept the calling. But yes, with his decision to say no to certain things and yes to God. And your decision to follow God wholeheartedly and not the idols of the world, not the idols of your life, your decision is going to have a testimony for somebody else. I can remember at that same church I described to you in Long Beach one night many years ago. I was going into my junior year, I believe, of high school. Perhaps my, my senior year. Young man was going into his freshman year. We were in the same school. After a service on Wednesday night, he was struck and killed by a car right outside the church. I remember that night vividly. I remember not being able to sleep. I remember, I do believe I was a senior in high school. Like a little child, I left my lights on all night. I could not wrap my mind around a 14-year-old and that had just happened and I could have been crossing that street. Long story short, from that today, I know of members of his family who are faithfully serving God, deacons in their church, who were unsaved at the time. And it's amazing how God can take a tragedy and do something for his glory with it. Others in the room have similar stories. Here's mine. God got a hold of that youth ministry that I was in. And somebody, not long after that, stepped out and said, I've been battling this a long time. God's called me to ministry. And one did. And you know what that did? Somebody else stepped out and God's called me to ministry. Others stepped out, God's called me to ministry. Others stepped out, God's called me to ministry. Today in Bellflower, California, there's a friend of mine who accepted the call, still pastoring, still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm here today by the grace of God, not by my goodness. I have a friend in Pensacola, Florida. He's not in full-time ministry, but week after week after week after week, he serves the Lord and brings up his family. You know what happened? Because something tragic happened, one person stepped out. 
And maybe it'd be in your dorm room in a place where it's expected, it's thought of that we're going to walk with God. But maybe there are some in this room who are saying, I've got some weaknesses inside this flesh. And they acknowledge, I've got some things that shouldn't be there. And I'm going to take a step and I'm going to cast down those idols and I'm going to follow God. I close with this thought. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, Paul's at the end of his life. He's walked with God. He threw down those idols of the flesh. He's spoken of them. He's written of them. But there are three men probably represented in this room right here. And he speaks of them and he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. There's example number one. He wouldn't cast down the altar. He accepted a call. He was a co-laborer for a time. But he loved this present world too much. There was Luke. Only Luke is with me, verse 11. Quiet, faithful obedience. And some of you right now, you're just quietly obeying God. You're not making a show of pulling down some idols. You're just doing it as God speaks to your heart. Some of you made that decision right here and now. I want to encourage you with this. Just press on. Just keep walking with God. Keep yielding to the Spirit. Keep obeying His Word. Just keep on and keep on and keep on. Bring Mark with thee. He's profitable to me for the ministry. That was Mark who many thought of as the failure Paul now calls profitable. One who thought of him as a failure early on was Paul himself. And there are those in this room who, like Mark, you stumbled on that journey. And you said, can God still use me? Could God still use Mark? He can use you. Say, my brother counts. I've done this and I've done that. I don't know, but God does and God wants to use your life. You might need some counseling. You might need to talk to somebody. You might need some encouragement. You're going to need some prayer. You're going to need to hit the altar. You, some of you, though, you're John Mark way back, and you're there right now. It's just up here in your mind. Some of you know, and some of you need to come and get it settled with the Lord today. Can God use you? Yes. Does God want to use you? Yes. Does God know that we need to pull down some altars in our life? Absolutely yes. Yes.